You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Sometimes I get tired from walking. I tire from walking because probably I'm I'm uh, heavy-hearted. Sounds strange to say it that way, but backpack that I'm carrying right now represents my heart. And uh, sometimes it gets weighed down with things, and then I get tired from walking. The Bible says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. The Bible says, walk in love. We walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, There's so many times that the Bible uses this imagery of walking. Often it's translated as live in the New International Version. But uh, I think we get tired of walking because we're weighed down. And uh, so if I were to pull out some things in my heart, like this, this one is anxiety. I'm, I'm anxious, and so I, don't, I can't walk because I'm, I'm full with anxiety. Pride, here's a real big rock, pride in my heart. Or impatience, when I, when I get impatient with someone, or with just life itself. Or covetousness is the big one too for our culture we we see what others have or we see what others uh, attain and we can't have that or we can't attain that and we covet we, we wish we had something more than what life God's given us or there's bitterness and anger that settle in our hearts or or lust lusting and then there's the words that come out of our mouths that are really an overflow of our hearts and so they either destroy or they, or they can heal, but so often it's destroying. And then there's gossip and slander. And, I mean, my heart can get so full of stuff like this that weighs me down, so I can't walk in a manner worthy. And um, I wonder if, similarly, you sense that sometimes, that there's things that weigh your heart down. Well, this morning in the scripture that we're looking at, we're coming face to face with some very clear, almost confrontational uh, teaching from Paul about sin. And uh, all of us know more theology and, and all of us know more about sin and righteousness than we actually practice. And if we were honest, we would have to admit that sometimes our families and our friendships don't resemble this peaceful community of Christ followers, but rather this war zone because we. We fall from grace, and we, we don't walk in a manner worthy. We have impatience and pride and anxiety and covetousness and bitterness and so on in our hearts. And the Bible teaches us that in order to get rid of this stuff, we have to do it on a displacement and replacement principle. That's what Paul is going to be teaching in this passage of Scripture this morning that we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 4. It's really talking about a divine exchange that takes place. In exchange, a putting off of the old and a putting on of the new. And so let's read this scripture together, um, Ephesians chapter 4. I'll read it uh, to us, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Amen. God's word to us today. Before we look at the five areas that Paul mentions in this passage, the the areas that we need to put off and put on, I want us to notice, first of all, that the negative putting off and the positive putting on is only possible in the experiential realm because of what Paul has already taught prior to this passage in verses 22 and 24 of of Ephesians 4. Because he says in that passage, having put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, being made new in the attitude of your minds, and having put on the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, in, in that text, Paul is talking about something that has already been done. If you're a Christian this morning, if you're a born-again believer, then you've put off the old self and you've put on the new. And then Paul gets to verse 25, the passage that we read, and he says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. In other words, therefore, because of what you are positionally true as true of you, therefore, you can now live it out and you can walk it out. When my dad was uh, coming, when he came to Canada, he had to work two years to gain his citizenship here in Canada. He worked on a farm in southeastern Ontario. And as he was working, he came across a, a skunk, which uh, he did not recognize as a skunk because where he came from in Europe, they only had gray skunks. So when he encountered this white and black one, he did not know it was a skunk. He thought it was a farm cat. Found out very much that it was not. And so he went toward the farmhouse after he got sprayed, and Mrs. Mink, the the farmer's wife, uh, could smell him coming and leaned out the back door and and, uh, yelled to him to go into the back 40, take off his old clothes, bury them there in the back field, scrub himself down at the well, and then she threw out some new clothes from Mr. Mink for him to put on. And, And that story for me has always kind of resembled the picture of becoming a Christian. The contaminated old clothes represent the old self that is subject to sin. When a person becomes a Christian, he dies to the old self and he buries it. Paul says in Romans 6, 4, We were buried with Christ through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Colossians 3, 9, Paul writes... You have taken off the old self and you've put on the new self. Ephesians 4.22, which we read, having put off the old self and having put on the new self. You see, it's the positionally true statement of what has happened to me in Jesus Christ and then the experientially walking it out based on what is true. This is a teaching which has been called the exchanged life for many people. Uh, the Hudson Taylor, the missionary from China Inland Mission, first coined that phrase in some of his writing, a book called A Man in Christ, or his book called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. And um, 
he talks about the exchanged life, how you walk it out is by exchanging what I am not for what Jesus Christ is. John Piper uh, would call it living by faith in future grace, counting on the grace of God to exchange and replace what I am not. The putting off and the putting on, Paul says. The man that first helped me to understand this whole idea was a, a man in Thunder Bay named Monty Parks. He used the illustration of Tarzan and Mowgli of the Jungle Book. You know, Tarzan of the Apes, uh, it was a 1912 creation of Edgar Rice Burroughs. And in that story, Tarzan is a boy whose real name is John Clayton. His parents were killed and he's abandoned on the coast of Africa by mutineers. He's left to be raised by apes. Mowgli is from the 1894 collection of stories from Rudyard Kipling called The Jungle Book. And he is also a little boy, alone in the jungle, but instead of being raised by apes, he's raised by wolves. Now what do Tarzan and Mowgli have in common? Well, in both stories, the little boys are raised in the wild, and in both cases they meet up with humans later on as boys, and a battle begins within them. But the battle that is going on in them, it's not a war between two natures, but rather a battle to let their true nature be expressed. They're boys, they're not wolves and apes. And so their essential being, their essential DNA, has not yet influenced their behavior. They've been conditioned to swing on branches and so on. And slowly they begin to realize that they were created for something more than living in the jungle and swinging on branches. They also begin to see that they are distinctly different from those around them. And so they begin to process of the process of living out who they actually are by nature instead of living out according to what they'd become by their environment. Their efforts did not have to be exerted on becoming more human, but simply in being who they already were. They needed to realign their behavior with who they were by nature as opposed to what they had become by conditioning. Now this illustration is incomplete. It, it has its holes. It, it can be misunderstood. I'm not suggesting the idea of it feels good, just do it. I'm not suggesting the idea of fulfill yourself message. I am saying simply that in Christ, we have been given a new nature. Uh, we've been made partakers of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1. And when we were born again, the Holy Spirit of God came into us, regenerated us, made us alive in Jesus, gave us a new nature, and now the rest of our lives really are working out and walking out of that new nature which we are in Christ. Because I have still desires to sin sometimes, because I can still sin, in fact, does not mean that I'm fundamentally in my nature a sinner. It simply means that there's been a conditioning from my first years on this earth, when I lived in Adam, when I had a, a sinful nature that had not yet been crucified, and so I need to live out of that new creation that I am and continually choose to live from grace in the Christ-like graces that I've received from His Holy Spirit instead of from the condition of my sinful habits that have a deep rut in my being. And so chapter 4.22 says, Put it off, the old, having put off the old self, which is created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. And then Paul changes channels, and he goes on then to say, therefore, put into practice, 
put off the old things and put on the new in your living. And we're not called to do the one without the other. If we concentrate only on putting off sin, we're nothing more than a self-improvement project. If we try in the flesh to avoid sin and obey God, then, then we, we will be frustrated. We'll never win that battle for long. And if we try only to put on without having put off, then we live a double life, a, a hypocritical life. And so both are needed. We have to, as Christians, put off sinful habits and put on Christ-like graces. And that is what we would call today the displacement and the replacement principle. Uh, some of you are reading the book uh, that Doug has on his reading list for the, the course that he has offered recently. And uh, the book by Major Ian Thomas called The Indwelling Life of Christ is a book that uh, really talks a lot about this principle. He says at one point on page 69, for the first time since Adam fell into sin, there was a man on earth as man, as God intended man to be. That's what he talks about in terms of Jesus being on earth. You see, Jesus Christ in me is the indwelling life that I need to be able to put off sin and to put on the new that I'm being created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So as we look now at the five areas that Paul talks about in chapter 4, beginning with verse 25, let's consider this, how we also can count on God to give us that future grace in the moment of our need. Beginning in verse 25, we begin with this first exchange that has to take place, that telling lies can be exchanged for telling the truth. It, it is in the area of our speech, but also our integrity generally. We're called to put off falsehood and speak truthfully. The word has to do with lying, but it can also mean falsehood even in our living. That, that kind of pretentious, ego-massaging, image-keeping way that does not present the, the truth. Don't let the little half-truths dominate your life, enter into your conversation. Don't let self-pity or false modesty or image-keeping govern your behavior with people, which is so obsessed with self. Rather, speak the truth in love, and in that way, we will grow up. That's according to Ephesians 4.15. And the Paul, Paul says that the theological reason that underpins this is because we're all members of one body, verse 25. We're all members of one body. Secondly, Paul writes that we, we should be angry without sinning. We should then, losing our temper can be exchanged for an anger that does not sin. And the sun should not go down when we are still angry. Obviously, this is not the same as the anger that is being spoken of in verse 31, um, where we are to get rid of it. This is the anger that does not sin. And uh, anger is a tough one. I mean, it's, it's one of the seven deadly sins uh, historically. Frederick Beekner writes that anger is perhaps one of the most fun of the seven deadly sins. You lick your wounds, you smack your lips over the past grievances, but in the end you realize that what you are wolfing down is yourself, he says. Anger can consume you if you do not exchange it for the kind of godly response to anger. I don't think it's possible to live this life without anger. I'm not suggesting that. But we can live without sinning in our anger. It's an anger that does not lead to sin. 
It's not losing your temper. It's not flying off the handle. It's not seething inside rather ready to explode. It's an anger that is under the blanket of self-control, brought to the cross and laid there for the sake of Jesus and his body. And so the theological reason that Paul gives for putting off anger and replacing it with this righteous kind of anger that is under self-control is that anger opens up the door and gives uh, the devil a foothold. According to verse 27, the literal rendering is, do not give place to the devil. And the word, this idea, give place, Paul is teaching that in certain areas of our lives, Satan does not need to trick us. He does not need to deceive us or attack us or barge in on us. In certain areas, he just walks right in the front door of our lives because we give place to him in our lives. We essentially invite him in when we have an unbridled, unguarded heart that has bitterness growing or anger present. It's an open door for Satan to walk in and set up shop. We see this displayed in the news uh, Uh, This past week, the Moncton story, how a young man had allowed bitterness and anger to captivate his life. You see, the Holy Spirit that is at work in the Christian is creating us to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. But if we harbor anger, if we open the door, if we give place to Satan to destroy the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then Anger leads to this alienation, this self-justifying, this slandering of others. And Satan, all of a sudden, has a foothold, a stronghold. He has given place in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, in our communities. Instead of them becoming a community of faith and peace, we have a war zone. And uh, the enemy wins. Thirdly, there's another another exchange mentioned in verse 28. Paul says in verse 28 that uh, stealing can be exchanged for working and sharing. Stealing must no longer happen. This is the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. You know, it was probably a very real problem in the church in Ephesus. We may not appreciate what temptations that we avoid because we live in a society with a social welfare net well, in the first century, there was no such net. I mean, in, in the first century, people depended on either family members supporting them if they couldn't support themselves, the charity of others, which was not always there, or stealing. And so the believers in Ephesus had to be reminded. They needed their minds renewed to trust God. And in fact, to, to even work, not so that simply they could meet their own needs, but they could share with others. And before we think that this is only a a first century problem maybe or a primitive society problem, the American Psychology Association held a symposium several years ago about employee theft. And at that time already, the amount of money lost to pilfering by employees annually was in the billions of dollars. People taking that which did not belong to them from the office somehow. And uh, we, we might just ignore certain innocent-looking ways that we might also be involved in stealing. I, I thought about it the other day when I was taking a parking spot and looking for something that was kind of out of the way, out of the radar of the parking authorities, wouldn't be there long, and I justified parking there. But of course, uh, 
Isn't that stealing from the city? And, and isn't the city managing public funds? And so therefore, am I not stealing from you when I do not pay my dues in terms of the parking authorities and laws that we have in our city? And so there's various ways that maybe we would apply this to ourselves. But the thing that's interesting is that Paul teaches it's not good enough just not to steal. That's not the fulfillment of the law, but rather to work so that we might have something to share with those in need. And again, we see that avoiding the negative is not sufficient. It's putting off stealing that's part of the equation, but the putting on Christ, it means to, to work in order to share and I don't know about you, but if we're honest with ourselves, we, we might admit that we don't often think about how we can work more so that we can share more. How much money can I make? How much things can I do in my job that I could actually share more with others? And so as Christians, we, we should be model citizens in this way, not just paying our own way, but being glad to pay the way of others. Fourthly, Paul says that uh, in verse 29, he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And so here we see what we do in the physical realm, we also now see doing in the verbal realm. We don't steal, but instead we share. Similarly, we don't steal or tear down others, but build them up. You see, words have a way of robbing or contributing, taking or giving. And each encounter that we have with people, even the smallest things that we do in our exchanges with people, can have a way of this wholesome building up, giving and contributing and edifying, or it can have the unwholesome, corrupt, rotten kind of language that somehow is a jab or a dig or a stab or a put-down, and it can tear them down. We even sometimes make this our humor, and of course it's sometimes quite humorous, but it, it can be so destructive sometimes. We need to be careful. The literal wording of this verse is that it may minister grace to the hearers. That's the acid test. The question asking ourselves is, does our speech minister grace to those that are listening? Or does our speech somehow take away and tear down and destroy. And verse 30, after mentioning our speech, Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So this is the theological reason for the, the, the exchange that must take place in our, in our language. Tearing others down can be exchanged for building them up. And the theological foundation and reason for that is that it grieves the Holy Spirit of God with whom we were sealed for the day of redemption, when we tear others down with our language. I hate to admit it, but there have been too many times in my, in my marriage, in my family life, in my church life, with a friend or in some other context, and I've come away from a conversation and I'm painfully aware in my conscience that there is an unseen guest in the conversation that is now grieved, and he is the Holy Spirit. The, the word grieved is, is, a, is a very personal word. Only persons can grieve. Machines do not grieve. Things do not grieve. But the Holy Spirit is the person of God himself within the believer. And he grieves. He is distressed. He is in sorrow 
when he sees words coming out of our mouths that are tearing others down in their spirit. And so we need to be so careful of this, that to put a guard at our lips. I remember when my dad, uh, uh, really without knowing, unwittingly, illustrated this to me in a powerful way. You see, my brother and I, my, my brother, older brother and I, we fought quite a bit when we were younger. I shouldn't say quite a bit, but enough. And, and it grieved our, our parents. And um, one day when we had fought, my mother uh, told dad when he got home. And uh, we lived in between Hanover and Walkerton in Bruce County, southeastern Ontario. And, and we lived right on the Saugeen River. And so we walked down to the river. Dad called, told us to follow him down to the river. And we both figured we were both going to get uh, a severe spanking. And, um, and so we were walking down behind my dad. And down by the river, the only thing that could hear you was maybe the cows across the, the river. And so we got down there. And instead of taking off his belt, he sat us down on a log. And as we sat there, he just started to cry. And I remember thinking to myself, my dad is crying over this. This is, is really hurting him that his sons fight with each other. The two young guys that should have their backs of each other and be supporting each other are fighting. And it grieved my dad. You know, friends, if we could see how it grieves the Holy Spirit when we fight, when we, when we tear each other down, we would perhaps change our ways. I remember leaving that riverside uh, experience with my dad and my brother. I don't recall us ever really fighting again. We might have had spats and, and words sometimes, but uh, very, very, very little fighting. Um, do we realize that our, our words and our actions can grieve God himself, our Father, by his Spirit in us? And then the fifth exchange that Paul says can take place in the believer's life is being unkind and bitter and all that stuff. There's a litany, a, a catalog of words in verses 31 and 32. All of that can be exchanged for kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Putting off these and putting on others uh, is all about the, the Christian life. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Instead, be filled, kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the way that God has called us to live, friends. He teaches us here that the raw material, the basic and primitive sins that could, we, we could live by, that we could eat, any one of us fall into, that these can be exchanged. We can put these off by the grace of God put off these sinful habits, these, these things that can often dominate our hearts, and we can put on Christ-like virtue. You see, every one of them has a substitute that Christ wants to give us by his grace. Everything that the old uh, self has left a residue of in our hearts and in our lives, every one of those old things of habit can be replaced in exchange with the future and beautiful grace of Christ. The question is, will we turn by faith to him in the moment? Will we put it off? 
And will we put on Christ? Will you trust God with that? The Bible says in Romans 8.32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What a wonderful verse. The verse is, is arguing from the greater to the lesser, if you listen to it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, talking about the cross of Jesus Christ, where he bled and died for us, in our place, as our substitute. You know, I don't know that you can really explain the atonement without talking about substitution, about talking about this exchange that took place, that I should have died, but Jesus took my place. And having done that greater work of making me right with God, how will he not also, along with Jesus, give graciously give us all things all of the grace that is needed to overcome our impatience and our lust and our covetousness and our pride and our language problems and our sins of the heart in other ways that's what the word of god teaches us and as we gather around the lord's table as a church family as we do monthly we are reminded here of the greater work that was done and we're reminded as well of the ongoing work that is done because Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. And so, church, I would encourage you, count on God to be present on every occasion as you depend on his future grace. Put off the sin that would try to weigh your heart down and hinder you from walking in a manner worthy of the calling you've received and put on the Christ-like virtue and grace that is his alone to give you and yours alone to receive. May God bless us.